Good morning. Everybody doing good today? Yes? Sure? All right. Are you ready for it? God is good? And all the time? Glad that you chose to worship with us today. My name is John, and I am blessed and humbled to serve as the pastor here, and just want to thank you for being here. As Soya already mentioned, if you are new to Hallmark, maybe this is your first Sunday, maybe you've come a few times, and you would like to find out a little more about uh, my wife, Joy, and I, and just about the church. We have our Discover Hallmark class immediately following this service, so when you dismiss here, uh, you can follow the round circles, people holding them that say Discover Hallmark. And if you're not sure where to go, ask one of them holding the signs. I'd be glad to direct you. We'll just spend about 20 or 30 minutes kind of letting you ask some questions, getting to know us. And uh, apparently we have a food issue problem because we will be serving crumble cookies in there as well uh, this Sunday. And uh, so I hope you can make it. Again, it's very just informal and opportunity to get to know my wife and I and uh, I want to say thank you. Uh, Last week, uh, Pastor Steve Switzer preached and kind of closed out our marriage series, our relationship series, and did an amazing job. Uh, The week before that, my dad preached and also preached on relationship status and did an amazing job preaching. And of course, I love the fact that that we have uh, men who are capable and willing, experienced, uh, because when I asked my dad, he's like, oh, I'll find someone else younger. And I was like, well, I know that's most everybody in here, but, uh, you know, but he's been married almost 54 years. And my mom deserves an award for that, for sure, for sure. But to have men who have been faithful to preach the word, faithful to their family, is what a blessing for us, a hallmark, to have, have so many men that are capable to get up here and preach. I also want to say thank you for praying for us. We were in Missouri most of the week, and uh, we got to go to uh, Baptist Bible College's graduation. Of course, if you saw on Facebook, and my daughter who's here, and my son-in-law, Riley and Blair, they both graduated from college, right? So yeah, we can celebrate that. And uh, already have jobs, praise the Lord for that. So Riley is working at a church in, in Las Vegas, and Blair just accepted a job teaching at a school in Las Vegas, so we're excited about that. And then also pray our, our son, uh, who lives in Florida and works at a church there, got to fly into Missouri and be there for a week with us. And he graduates this next Saturday with his master's degree from Liberty University. And so I'm thankful. Yeah, you can celebrate that. And so I'm, I'm thankful that I think we're done paying for school. Praise Jesus. All right, just in time, right? Uh, today we are starting a new short, like mini series, kind of sandwiched between Mother's Day, which is next Sunday, and we're going to talk about three of the most important people in the Bible, three women of worth. Today we're going to talk about Ruth, so if you have your Bibles or your phone or tablet, you can find your way to Ruth. And uh, then next week, we're going to talk about the mother of Jesus, Mary. And then two weeks from today, we are going to be talking about Esther. And so if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you some quick facts about the book of Ruth. You may want to write quick or get your phone out and take a picture of the screen because I'm not going to take a lot of time. I just kind of give you a quick 
overview or facts about the book of Ruth. The, the, the word Ruth, the, the name here means friend or friendly or maybe better would be friendship. The author is unknown. It's a pretty short book. There's four chapters, 85 verses. There's only two books. It's one of two books named after two different women, Ruth and Esther. It's the only book named after an ancestor of Jesus Christ. It was written, we'll find out very early on, during the time of the judges. And it's the only book of the Bible named after a non-Jewish person. So just some interesting facts about Ruth. One of the themes of Ruth that we'll see, and we're gonna, I'm going to do my best to kind of give you a flyover view of the book of Ruth and then end on some application. Okay, and one of the themes, there's really three things that we'll see kind of laid out in this book. And I would encourage you to spend some time reading through the book. It's, again, four short chapters, take you a few minutes to read it, and maybe the rest of the week, get up and read it every day, just to kind of familiarize yourself. And and you're going to see this theme. The first one is providence, the providence of God. And in case you don't know what providence of God is, let me read you kind of this theological definition of providence. Divine providence is the governance of God by which he, uh, he, with wisdom and love, care for and directs all things in the universe. The doctrine of divine providence asserts that God is in complete control of all things. He is sovereign over the universe as a whole, the physical world, the affairs of the nations, human destiny, the success and failures of humanity, and the protection of his people. This doctrine stands in direct opposition to the idea that the universe is governed by chance or by fate. Through divine providence, God accomplishes his will to ensure that his purposes are fulfilled. God governs the affairs of men and works through the natural order of things. And I'll just grab that definition. Here's a great resource if you don't know about it called gotquestions.org. Okay, you might write that down. It's also an app you can get on your phone, gotquestions.org. And this website and or app, you can ask pretty much any theological question and it'll come up with an answer in scripture to go with it. And so I just pulled that definition from that website, but let me give you kind of maybe a little more simple working definition of providence. This is what I got from Skip Heitzik and it says this, God takes natural events and he enacts supernatural results. One of the verses that many of you may be familiar with that we would go to that speaks to the providence of God is found in Romans 8, 28. And it says this, We know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Right? So God is in control. We've talked about this. God is sovereign. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God. Think about that for a moment. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Like God didn't wake up and say, oh, Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. Jesus, what are we gonna do now? God is in control and God knows all things. Nothing has ever occurred to him. All right, so the book of of, of Ruth is a story of providence, the book of Ruth is a story of conversion, and we're going to see that this morning. There's a, a, a Gentile, and Gentile simply is the generic term for non-Jew, all right? So there's a Gentile, a Moabite woman, 
who places her faith in Yahweh, in Jesus, in the God of Israel. So it's a, it's a book of conversion. So providence, conversion. And the third one, which is going to jump off the page for us, and we're going to kind of circle back around to at the end, is this book is a book of redemption. One person pays the price for the freedom of someone else. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. One person pays the price for the freedom of someone else. Without even opening the book and reading any of it, who does that remind you of? Jesus. So, let me give you a quick outline of each chapter. That way we can run through this, okay? And like I said, this is going to be a flyover. Chapter 1, here's a definition or just an outline. Love's resolve. All right, that means there's a lady, Ruth, we're going to learn about. She makes a resolution to follow her mother-in-law, Naomi. Chapter 2, love's response. There's this romance, right? So had Disney written this book, it would have started once upon a time, and then we would start reading, and at the end it would say, and what would the ending say? They lived happily ever after, right? Love's request, chapter through, 3. And we kind of come with this idea that would be startling to the reader, maybe even startling to us as we read it, that Ruth asked Boaz to marry her. Uh, anybody remember the lyrics, Sadie Hawkins dance in my khaki pants? Anybody? Okay. Who remembers that? It's like just stuck in my head, all right? 1990s youth pastor all know that song, right? Chapter 4, love's reward. And they're married and have a child. Okay? So, Ruth opens with the famine and it closes with the family. The book of Ruth opens with a funeral and closes with a wedding. All right? So, let's get into the book. All right? Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. All right? There's the timeline. This took place during the period of the judges. There was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, and he and his wife, uh, he and his wife, and his two sons. All right, so here's the setting, right? It's the place of the Judges. Judges, the book of Judges ends in Judges chapter 21, 25. We see this quoted several times in the book of Judges, and it says this, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This gives us the setting of when the book of Ruth was written. There was no king in the land, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So this idea of um, really hedonism, humanism, secularism, that, that was everything that was going on. It, it would, in my opinion, it would be similar to what the culture we're living in today. Isn't that the culture that you could identify today as everyone does what's right in their own eyes? Would you agree with that? Right, so that's the context in which... It was written. Of course, it's in the context of the nation of Israel. They're in Bethlehem, right? In Judah. And in the context of Israel, when you see the nation of Israel, often and always it seems like they were in what often is called a sin cycle, right? The sin cycle. Rebellion, in other words, they run from God. Retribution, in other words, punishment from God. Then there would be repentance, they would turn back to God, and then there would be restitution where God would bless. And it goes back into Deuteronomy, right? When God told the nation of Israel, if you'll obey, I'll bless. 
if you disobey, I'll curse. That was a simple covenant he made with the people of Israel. And so we, we find the book of Ruth really in that second phase. They have turned from God. God is punishing them in order. Remember, God's punishment, God's discipline was always led them to, his goal was always repentance so that he could bring forgiveness. All right? So we're in the phase, this sin cycle of punishment from God. Verse number two, the name of the man. So the name of the man who took his family was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. The names of the two sons were Malon and Kilion of Bethlehem, Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. Interesting to know that Elimelech's name means my God is king. My God is king. But similar to Abraham, when the famine came, he ran. Bethlehem, where he was at, but the name Bethlehem means house of bread, right, that God would provide. And during this famine, during this time of, of, of retribution, this time when God was judging the people, Elimelech, who, whose name means my God is king, chooses not to trust his God as king, and he flees. He goes to Moab. Naomi means pleasantness. We're going to talk about that again in a minute. And I would not recommend you calling your sons, well, for your daughters for that matter, Malon or Kilion, right? Because the name means sickly or sick one. And this Kilion means crybaby, all right? How many of you, never mind, I'm not going to ask that. Romans, let's look at verses three through five. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the woman of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the the name of the other Ruth. They dwelt there about 10 years. And then sickly and crybaby also died. (laughs) So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. And we can't really begin to fathom how difficult life would be now. In this culture, there was no way for women to make any kind of money. There was no way for them to serve, and there was no way for them to, to, to really feed themselves. So tra- tragedy. Think about how Naomi would f- have felt. Her husband has died. Now her two grown sons have died. It's her and her two daughters-in-law. And let's continue reading. Verse number six. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law and that she might return from the country of Moab. And why is she going to return? It says, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people, giving them bread, right? So he's always promised he would. Verse number seven. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Naomi said to her daughter, two daughters-in-law, Go return each to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, and you have dealt with me. The Lord, verse number nine, the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. So she's releasing them to go back home as she goes to her home. They said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. 
Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that you may be, you may, that may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should have also bear two sons, would you wait for them till they are grown? Would you restrain yourself from having husbands? No, for it grieves me very much for your sakes. And then she says this, the last part of verse 13. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpah leaves. She goes back home. Ruth doesn't leave. And look what she says in verse 15. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her and people and to her gods. You might want to underline that. Naomi says to Ruth, look, your your sister-in-law has gone back and she's gone back to what? Her people and to her what? Gods. The false gods of the Moabites. Return after your sister-in-law. Verse 16, but Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from the following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And what does she say? Your people shall be my people and your, what is it? God. My God. We said that this story shows the providence of God. It shows a conversion. This young Moabite lady. Look at verse 17. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And the Lord, and again, you you probably know this, but when you see Lord in the Old Testament, all capitalized, it's the word Yahweh, the covenant name of God, the existing one. And this Moabite girl says, the Lord do to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. She makes a covenant. She's going to stick by Naomi, I can't say the word. She is going to make this decision. Your God shall be my God. Let's keep reading, all right? Verse 19, well, let's read verse 18. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, this is Naomi, she stopped speaking to her. That didn't mean she like gave her the silent treatment. She just stopped convincing her to go back. Verse 19, now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened, you might mark that, we'll get back to that. When they had come to Bethlehem, that all the city was excited because of them. The woman said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Remember what Naomi means? Blessedness or pleasant. But call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. And the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me. And the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned. And Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem. At the beginning of barley harvest. And it's interesting as Naomi blames God for her problems and really her problems stem from the lack of faith of her husband, right? Elimelech, who means my God is king during the famine, doesn't trust, 
goes to Moab. Then him and his two sons die. Now Naomi, Naomi is left. She says, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. For God has afflicted me. And doesn't the first chapter kind of seem heavy? Right? It's just tragedy. Like it's, it's once upon a time, everything stunk, right? The, 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 two, the three men die. The lady's left with nothing and she's blaming God. And, and there's just one little glimmer of hope in the last phrase of the last verse of chapter one. Look what it says. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Food, right? They've been living in famine. It's why they left, but now there's food. So chapter two, we said is romance, right? So the, turn the page, turn the emotions. It's gonna get better, okay? We're, we're leaving the heaviness behind. Ruth chapter two, verses one through two. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz, enter the hero of the story, right? So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go in the field and glean heads of grain after him, whose side I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. And she laughed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. In two words, right? It says twice in in verse 19, it says, and it happened. Here in verse three of chapter chapter two, it says, and she, what does it say, happened. Now, I don't believe in happenstance. I believe in providence. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in providence. It it didn't just happen to be that when they made a decision to go back that, that it was at the time of, the harvest. It didn't happen. It just wasn't a coincidence that the first place they go was a relative Boaz, a relative of Elimelech. It didn't just happen. This is what we see the providence of God, that God is always working in our life. And oftentimes, maybe not you, but but for me, oftentimes I make poor decisions. Anyone else want to identify with me? Have you ever made a poor decision? Aren't you glad that your poor decisions don't stop God's plan in your life? That God rules, but sometimes in our life, God has to overrule. Because sometimes, left to myself, I can make a pretty big mess. I was waiting to hear my parents say amen to that. They, they were quiet. Thank you. Verse 4. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Here's a godly man. He comes to his workers and says, the Lord be with you. They answered, Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the servants who was in charge of the reapers. All right, here's here's where the romance begins. Right, so so far what we know what has happened is, is that Ruth has asked Naomi, can I go and glean in the field? And so in this time period, God had provided a, what we would say a welfare system for the poor. For those who did not have land, what he would tell those who owned land is that when you, when you reap the harvest, when you walk through that you're only to glean the field once, don't go back through and get what you missed, leave it for the poor. 
And the poor then would go to work and they would get what was left behind. And theologians would say about 25% would be left behind of the harvest. And so Ruth says, Naomi, can I go to our relative and can I glean in the field? And Boaz, who obviously was a godly man, shows up to work, says to the workers, the Lord be with you. They respond, God bless you. And then he says, whoa, who is that? Caught his eye. Guys, do you remember? Those of you who are married when you was like, wow, who is that? I know that's the response my wife had when she saw me. (laughs) Wow, who is that? The truth is she knew who that was. She made a declarative statement before she went to Bible college. One thing I know, I will not date a Haley. (laughs) Challenge accepted, right? No. See, God worked in her life, providentially brought me into the cafeteria at just the right time. My hair feathered just, anyways, let's go on. (laughs) Verse six, back to this romance, not that one. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and continued from the house from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. And Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not glean in any other field, nor go from here. Stay close by my young women. Romance continues, right? Don't go anywhere else. Let your eyes be on the field what they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men, do not touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should notice, take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Boaz, verse 11, answered and said, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth have come to the people whom you did not know before. Verse 12, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings. This is a great verse. If you haven't caught up to where we're at, we're at verse 12. And look what he says. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Have you found the Lord to be your refuge? When she said to Naomi, your God will be my God and the Lord do unto me. And she made that covenant. She made that conversion. I'm going to follow Yahweh, the existing one, the God of Israel. And what Boaz reminds us is that God uses people to do his work, but it is God who is the refuge. Verse 15, and when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men. This is great, right? So obviously she's caught his eye and he says, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Oh, and also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. 
Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, let's look at verse 20. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. So isn't this a cool story? Like he, he sees this young lady, obviously he's smitten by her. He tells his workers, hey, leave a little extra behind just to bless her. And it says in the rest of that chapter, which we didn't read, that she gathered a lot. Like it, it was enough for her, for several men to have food for several weeks. Like she's gathered. She goes to Naomi and says, look what I've got. And Naomi's like, what happened? And then that's where we read in verse 20. I, I found someone. And look at the word, the last part of verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 20. Then Naomi, let's read the entire verse, said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours. We've already known that. We've already read that. But then it closes the verse with this statement. One of our close relatives. You're going to see that word, close relatives. I think it's 10 more times in the next two chapters. Okay, we've already seen the word relative twice, but now it changes to a different word. The Hebrew word is G-A-A-L. I don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm spelling it. G-A-A-L. And what that word means, translated here, close relative, is the word kinsman, redeemer kinsman redeemer, meaning there is an obligation now to Boaz because they are, he is the close relative, the kinsman redeemer. And we've already asked this question, but who does Boaz remind us of? Hopefully you'll get it in a minute. Close Relative. Let's skip to chapter three, all right? In chapter three, we, we've given it the title, Love's Request, all right? So Ruth asked Boaz to marry her. Now, for sake of time, I'm not going to take time reading all this, but what happens in chapter three is the mother-in-law, Naomi, tells Ruth, all right, here's what you need to do. Get the best clothes on, do your hair, do your makeup, get your jewelry on, and go. And, and there's this, they're going to be uh, threshing the wheat, And when they're at the threshing floor, then they're going to go to bed tired. And what I want you to do, and this is really weird, and I'm not recommending this to anyone, and I don't really understand the custom. But then she says, I want you to, when he goes to bed, I want you to go and lay at the foot of his bed, at his feet. And then there's an interesting verse in there that says, at midnight, Boaz wakes up and he's startled. Okay, it's midnight, you wake up. And there's a woman in your bed. Would you be startled? Yes or no? I hope so. All right. You're not married. A woman just shows up in your bed. That seemed like a pretty easy answer to me. I'm going to ask it again. Would you be startled? Would you use a different word than startled possibly? I'd be freaked out a little bit, right? I don't know what the Greek for Hebrew for freaked out is, but that's the word I would have used. He wakes up and asks like the obvious question, who are 
you. And then she explains, I'm, I'm Ruth, the one that's been gleaning in your field, the close relative. And let's look, let's just read it. Verse number eight, chapter three. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled. Uh, Turn himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a, what's the word? Close relative. G-A-A-L, if you want to write the Hebrew. Kinsman redeemer. And she asked Boaz, would you marry me? Would you be my redeemer? That's a big ask, isn't it? The rest of the story, he says, yeah, I'll do it. But there is another kinsman redeemer who is a closer relative, and it's his right to redeem you first. But if he will not redeem you, I'll redeem you. So as is customary, the next day they go to the the gate of the city. This is like where all the legal proceedings take place. They have a meeting. Boaz explains to the other relative who's not mentioned, you are the closest relative, the kinsman redeemer. This is what I'm offering you. Do you want to redeem Ruth? Uh, Also, Naomi comes with her. And he says, no. I already have an inheritance, meaning I'm already married and I already have kids. I don't want another wife. And Boaz says, in front of the legal proceedings, I'll redeem her. And what what it seems to be from, from studying this, that in this culture, in this context, there would have been a deed, because he's purchasing back Elimelech's property and the inheritance. And what comes with that is Ruth. And there would have been a title deed. Most historians would say that would be some form of a scroll. That scroll would have been sealed on the outside. Possibly the terms of the agreement, the terms of the property, the deed here, would have been written on the inside, possibly also on the outside of this scroll. And so when he purchases, redeems, he receives the title deed, the scroll. And then in chapter 4, let's pick up the end of the story. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Now there were some requirements in order for this man, Boaz, to be the kinsman redeemer. For anyone to be a kinsman redeemer. There were three, three basic requirements. First, they had to be related. Okay, which we already found out they have been related. Second, the kinsman redeemer would have to be willing. We saw one was willing, one was not willing, right? The third requirement was what they had to be able. Like he had to be able to purchase or to redeem back the property and all that came with the property. So related, willing, and able. And he met, met all the requirements. He receives the deed. He redeems the property and the people, Ruth. Now, 
Look at the last part of, of chapter 4. Let's look at verse 17. Then Naomi took the, or, or excuse me, let's see. They, they had the child, verse 17. Also the neighbor woman gave him a name, saying, there is a son born to Naomi. This is the, the, the mother-in-law, right? And they called his name Obed, and he is the father of Jesse. And who is Jesse's son? Do you remember? It's right there, but it is David. King David. This Gentile, non-Jew, would be the great-grandmother of King David. And do you remember in Luke when Mary and Joseph went? Where did, what city did they go back to? Do you remember before Jesus was born? Remember what it said? They went back to Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and the lineage of who? David. And this decision that Ruth made to follow the Lord and God in his providence, she would be the great-grandmother of King David who would be of the line of who? King Jesus. Isn't that a cool story? And they lived happily ever after. There's more to the story, though, than what meets the eye, right? Have you guys ever ran into someone that looked familiar to you, reminded you of someone else? Has anyone come up to you and said, you remind me of somebody? It happens to me a lot. In fact, this week, I got a Facebook message that said, so I just told you I was in Missouri. Just so happens my brother who lives in Colorado was here in Dallas-Fort Worth. And so I got a message from someone that said, I thought you, I saw you at a conference over in a distance. Was that you at the Watermark conference? First, I want to say, well, thanks for coming and saying hi. But I said, no, that was my brother. You saw my brother, not me. Is that, that ever happened to people, right? You remind me of someone. When, we, when my wife and I, Joy and I, we were in college, there would always come up to Joy and say, you remind me of someone. In fact, we were in Florida at Disney World one time, and somebody came up to Joy and I and said, you remind me of someone. We're like, who? And they would say, Beth Moore. Every single time, Beth Moore. Got to be your sister. When we were in college, we were like, I don't know who Beth Moore is. She's probably some crazy relatives or something like that. We don't know Beth. And then we came to Hallmark in 1997 and realized that, you know, her brothers and sister are all sitting right over here. Now we know who Beth Moore is, and we were right. They have some crazy relatives, right? <laughs> so, sorry, I had to. But when we look at the story of Ruth and Boaz, Boaz kind of reminds us of someone, doesn't he? Who is it he reminds us of? Who? who? Say it with some confidence. Who? Jesus. Jesus. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. Because the story is really cool. It's a love story, right? And they live happily ever after and whatever. But the story is not the just story for the story's sake. The story is pointing us to a greater story. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, does remind us of someone. In fact, he's specifically pointing to Jesus. 
And in Revelation chapter 5, we see the end of the story. This is, this is when Jesus is going to set all things new. He's new heaven and a new earth. And we get a picture of the throne room before everything is going to be made new. And look what it says in Revelation chapter 5. And I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside on the back, sealed with seven seals. Does that scroll remind you of anything we just described? Then I saw a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? No one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. This is John writing. God has given them a vision of the throne room of God. Right before Jesus is going to make all things new. And John says, I wept much. Because no one found worthy to open and read the scroll or look at it. What does this scroll represent? It represents the title deed of the earth and of mankind. If someone could be worthy to open up the scroll, it's the final piece of, of our redemption. So John weeps. No one is worthy. Remember the three requirements of a kinsman redeemer? First, they must be related. Let's picture of Jesus, right? What does John 1.14 say? The word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And he took on humanity. We are related. What was the second requirement of the kinsman redeemer? He must be willing. John 18, 18, no one takes it from me, Jesus says, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I received from my father. He's related. He's willing. Is he able? First Peter 1, 18 through 19, knowing that you were redeemed You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions of your father. But with, you've been redeemed by what? Precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus, related, willing, and able to do what? Redeem me. And Boaz is a picture of Jesus, the kinsman redeemer, who was related and willing and able. And Jesus, related, willing, and able. So in Revelation chapter 4, verse number 4, like all hope is lost. No one is able to take the scroll. No one is able to redeem mankind. No one is able to finish the completion of the redemption of man and the earth. And John weeps, but look at verse number, Revelation 5, excuse me, verse 5. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals, which means not only is Jesus willing, not only is he related, but he is able. You should be excited about that. Let me say it again. Not only is Jesus related and not only is willing, but Jesus is able to redeem all of mankind to himself. Are you thankful for that? 
Let's remember the Sadie Hawkins dance in my khaki pants. I can't get that song on my head. I'm sorry. Sadie Hawkins, you know what that is, right? I think that was way before my time, but we'll talk about that. But it was when the, the woman could ask the guy, the lady could ask the guy. And remember what was kind of odd in the story? Well, there was a lot on the story, but Ruth, what does she ask of Boaz? And Boaz is the picture of who? Jesus. And Boaz has the ability to redeem her just as Jesus has the ability to redeem you. And what does, Boaz, or what does Ruth ask? Will you be my close relative? What is she asking? Will you be my redeemer? And what does Boaz say? Yes. Here's the good news for everybody. We are born in sin, separated from a holy, righteous God, and we need to be redeemed, to be bought, to be purchased, to have access to God. And Jesus is our close relative. He is our kinsman redeemer. He was related, he was willing, and he was able. And you know how you can be redeemed? Purchased by God, reconciled to God, eternity in heaven, sins forgiven. That's what all this means. You can be redeemed. You can be purchased. You can be forgiven. You can have eternal life. You can have, be adopted into the family of God. How? The same way Ruth was. You simply ask, Jesus, will you redeem me? And you know what Jesus will say? Say it with me. Yes. Would you close your eyes for a moment? This morning, if you have never asked Jesus to redeem you, can I encourage you to do it right now? Just so we're clear, everyone who's born needs to be redeemed. Our sins separate us from a holy, righteous God. And, and everyone who's born, if they, have, if they want to get to heaven, if they want forgiveness of sins, if they want to have a relationship with God, they must be redeemed. Jesus is willing and Jesus is able. You simply have to ask. God, will you redeem me? This morning, if, if you would like to ask God to redeem you, would you just put your hand up for a moment? Just right where, I, I know it's dark. Just put your hand up. If you would like today to ask God to redeem you, would you just put your hand up real quick? I'm not gonna call you out. I just wanna pray for you and with you. All right, thank you. There's one. Anyone else? Put it up high. It's, it's kind of dark. It's hard for me to see. Just put your hand up. Anyone else? And here's what I want to encourage you to do. You can put your hands down. If you would like to ask God the Father to redeem you, then just pray. I'm going to lead you through a prayer. And it's you confessing to God, placing your faith in Jesus, and simply asking him, would you redeem me? 
You may say something like this, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. I confess Jesus is Lord. I ask you, will you redeem me? The great news is this. If you prayed that, if you talked to the Lord and you said, will you redeem me? He said, yes. And right now, you belong to God for all of eternity.